it's always super hard to find people to do sports with. So why don't we do like a social network to find people to do sports with? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Halftime Snacks podcast, a place where we snack about interesting topics in sports, business, technology, and everything in between. Let's get to it. today for the halftime snacks is a lawyer a sports enthusiast and an entrepreneur coming to the show all the way from cancun he's the ceo and co-founder of journey a platform used to organize and promote sports through technology his mission is to democratize sports using network effects to improve insurance marketing and management in sports this man accepted my invitation to the show with no doubts ladies and gentlemen Oscar Garza. Hey, nice. It's nice to, to meet you, Ronan. You know, every single time that I meet an entrepreneur, I'm really curious to know their story. I would love to start our conversation today by talking about your background. How did you come up with Journey? What was the pain point you wanted to solve? I've always been really into sports since I was a little boy. I was in the Mexican team for fencing. Then I uh, make a transition for Taekwondo. When I was studying law de the law degree in Mexico City, I was doing mountaineering and mountain climbing. So, you know, I've always been really passionate about sports. And on the last year of, uh, of my law career, I had one of my best friends. He was from Tec de Monterrey. And in Tec de Monterrey, they are really like into, into entrepreneurship. And he was, you know, just saying like, we should start a business, we should start a business. And I was like, hey, well, I had this idea that for all the sports that I do, from ice hockey to fencing, it's always super hard to find people to do sports with. So why don't we do like a social network to find people to do sports with? And he was like, well, that sounds cool. So we started working and he started coding. We started, you know, doing the, the idea of what we wanted to do. And after a year of work, we came out with this like really wacky social network that it was to find people to do mountaineering with. And even though it was awful, you know, it was like really, really MVP, it actually worked. You know, we, I could always find people to do mountaineering with and, you know, I was delighted. But from there on, we were like, okay, well, now we need to make money out of this. So what's the next step forward? So we um, started to see if we could um, get into other like um, adjacent services. How could we like monetize the idea? And the first idea we had was to get into an OTA. OTA is an online travel agency. So we already had all this community for mountaineering. So we thought like, well, we could get the guides in here and then just like get a commission for every sale we do through, through a platform. That took us like six months to make. And I mean, it was working. It was selling. We already had some investment at that point. But it was not uh, scalable at any point because, you know, there was not a problem there to be solved. Like all the guides could sell through Facebook, like people didn't care paying in cash. So there was no need for the actual marketplace. So we started saying, well, you know, our core mission is to get people doing sports. That's what we really love. We are really passionate about doing sports, about getting people active. So what can we actually solve? That was the next question we posed. 
And we found that um, sports schools, you know, the, the regular football teacher, the Taekwondo Dojang, all those kind of um, businesses, they really had terrible, terrible management. So the next thing we did is to transform the OTA that it was, you know, this like payment gateway that had like uh, online payments to get into subscriptions. So we create the platform that any sports school, regardless of the size, regardless of the money, could get into um, subscription model for all the students to actually subscribe to the to the class. And we started getting um, the you know the the fees like they they could not collect. They were like thirty percent. So they didn't collect thirty percent of the revenue because they had such a mismanagement. And we got that to five percent. So from there we started growing, and I mean it was good, but we only got like a five percent margin out of the whole thing, and it was like incredible job, like too much job. And when looking for other types of ways to monetize the the network that we already had, where we had athletes, we had clubs, federations, all these kind of people that were using our payment platform, we started looking for other problems that athletes had. And we noticed that there's this thing called INEGI. It's the national authority for statistical things in Mexico. So they do all the, all the um, polls, all the polling in Mexico. And they have a special poll for sports, for sports inclusion in the country. And in that poll, they say that the third largest cost for sport abandonment in the, in the country was actually injuries, sport injuries. And, you know, I think uh, ex-Taekwondo high-performance athlete, I got my jaw broken on the um, New York Open, the 2015 New York Open. And it was really painful and it was really expensive. The only reason I could afford it is because I had insurance. So it's like, okay, well, you know, for any risk, the obvious answer is insurance. So let's see how the like sport insurance industry in Mexico and see what can we like disrupt there. And well, when we actually like dig into it, we were horrified. The, the, the sport insurance in Mexico is practically non-existent. Only 4% of the athletes in Mexico has any type of sporting insurance. And this is terrible because when people get injured, they cannot pay, they cannot afford to get treatment. Therefore, they just like leave sports and that's it. That's why they abandon sports. So um, we really get into insurance. We start like looking into it. How did the industry work? I mean, I'm a lawyer, so I kind of like know the, the law part of it. But when getting into the business part of it, we noticed that there's this thing that call, it's called group insurance. The larger a group, the lower the cost for the insurance. So if you go as an individual athlete to get um, sport coverage, yeah, you will need to pay a lot of money for it. But if you got it as a huge group of athletes and get coverage for the same thing, then the, the, the cost exponentially declines because there's less cost for acquisition on the insurance side. So that, there, that's where you get the cuts from cost. So we were like, oh, huh, we have a market network. We can use that market network to bargain a huge group insurance and get the cost down and accessible for people. So we did that. And yeah, people start buying the insurance and we start talking with big like V2V, like uh, sport federations. Uh, I mean, the Mexican Taekwondo Federation has 150,000 athletes, just them. And there are like 60 sports federations in the country. So yeah, it, you know, it kind of climbs. There's a lot of people doing sports in this country. 
So we start talking with the business, we start talking with the athletes, they start buying the product. And from there on, it was like, well, we, how can we make this even better? And right now we are currently developing solution for claims and for better subscription, for better underwriting and for better service. So yeah, like let's summarize that whole thing. The problem was that people could not afford insurance. The solution, we use the market network to get the cost of insurance to a payable level. The defensibility, well, if you want to compete against us, you really need to have a bigger group than us. And we're not staying still now. So for every single athlete that we get into the, into the platform, we get a really defensible thing because their um, annual insurance contracts last for a year, which they will not jump from one company to another during the whole year. So it's a little bit of a winner takes it all and I kind of love it because, you know, as an entrepreneur, when you kind of see these like blue ocean opportunities, you just got to throw yourself, you know, like, like we say in Spanish, como gorda en tobogán. Well, it, it, it really sounds like the, the opportunity of building a community before was one of the factors that influenced towards uh, adapting yourself to the, to the new idea, to, to pivoting to insurance. And that kind of like grabbed the, the market of athletes without insurance quickly. And I, I think we're going to touch a little bit further on that. But mm -hmm. I, I want to ask you a little bit about the platform behind Journey itself, the, the technical side of it. So how are you leveraging technology to connect between sports and insurance? Well, the first thing you, you got to know is that technology is on service of the of the actual need, of the actual problem. We're not using AI, we're not using like huge uh, new things, we're not using buzzwords, we're using plain old technology, but in creative ways to make better connections. The thing about you know um, social networks or marketplaces or market networks, as in our case, is not actually the complication of the technology both the way the underlying connections between point A, you know, user A and user V coexist. So of course, in order to guarantee there is like a fluid uh, fluidity in that connection, you need to be really knowledgeable in, you know, from Amazon Web Services, uh, the infrastructure in which your platform runs and how it's constituted, your, de your defense against cyber attacks, which we normally, you know, have some every once in a while and how to defend the content, you really need to understand how the UX, you know, um, influences the behavior of the, of the athletes, of the users in that case, and how you actually make them recurring users for the platform. So, I mean, like, what are we using? We're using, you know, PHP, you know, Laravel. We're using the regular thing, but in innovative ways. Now, Any startup that begins, and here in Mexico, we have this really funny thing that there's not a lot of, a lot of funding to go by. So in the United States, I think just California has more um, VCs than the whole Latin America region. So uh, yeah, you need to play the game on the, on the rules where you're playing it. So we're not playing in the United States. We cannot get a $1.5 million seed investment for you know just getting into a lot of things and... So we really need to be like a guerrilla warfare and be really tactical about what we develop. First, you need to develop low tech, see if it works, and then increase the complexity of the tech where you're using. So what's right now in the oven for us tech-wise? 
we are um, starting to to hire our data science team because you know um, we're doing insurance. One of the big things in insurance are claims when people actually get injured and you know they need to use insurance, and we don't want people to do that. So the next big question that we are doing is how can we understand the specific um, like claims rates according to a specific cohort to a specific you know um specific sports and see how can we influence the behavior of our users in order to lower the accidents that it's a win-win-win the insurance company wins because it has to pay less claims we win because we could get a better prime for every insurance sold and the athlete wins because they get less uh less injuries and they can get to be more on the field and less on the hospital there. So yeah, how do you actually get the connection with data science and how do you influence the behavior with content and a little bit of AI? How do you deliver the content in one, in one moment, in one time? And in order to like measure it against the actual total claims that we do. So that's in the oven right now. There's other things that we need to like improve like the, the customer experience on the claims, using chatbots in order to, instead of, you know, we're millennials, we don't really want to call anybody. Like, I, I feel like cringe every, every once that I need to call for pizza. So I, I don't really want to call nobody, not even for the insurance thing. So if we can get chatbots in order to automatize the whole claim um, process, to make it seamless, to improve the customer journey, well, that's a big win-win. But you know, chatbots is not rocket science. I mean, it's AI, but it's not rocket science. So we're getting into that. And we're also getting into more like a distribution side things, you know, like you know, SEO, that kind of things, which is not really rocket science too, but needs to be addressed. I really want to emphasize on what, on what you said of, you know, using classic technology, but using it in a creative way. I think that's key. And in, in many of like founders and entrepreneurs kind of like get a little bit scared before they even get into the technology because they're like, oh, we got to use machine learning and we got to use AI and like the most advanced software out there. But it's not really true. You, you, can, have, you can have so many like functionalities in, in the simple stuff as long as you are creative with it. So I, I think that's, that's, uh, that's really interesting and I appreciate what you, what you said about it, Oscar. And you know, now that you, you mentioned it, insurance is, is actually something that, at least in Mexico, there's barely any culture around it in insurance. In, in the United States or in Europe, maybe they have a culture of you know, paying for insurance, having insurance, uh, being safe and transferring the, the risk. But it is one, if not the hardest products to sell. So I'm curious to know, what are some of the challenges that you faced while convincing people to get insurance specifically for their sports practices. So first, let, let me give you a little bit of context on how big is the problem of insurance in Mexico. So in the United States, 67% of the US like citizens have health insurance from a private source. So that's 67%. In Mexico, it's 4%. So yeah, like we are lacking. But in order to understand why that's true, we really need to understand why people don't buy it. And the main reason why people don't buy it is just plain old costs. So, you know, even in the, in the like national polling authority, they say it, like they, when they poll people, they say, I cannot buy it. I, 
I, I know I need it, but I, cannot, I can just not pay it. The regular health insurance in Mexico is worth three full salaries, three full salaries, like monthly wages of the average worker. So when you need to dedicate 30% on your annual earnings to insurance, yeah, you will not be doing that. So that really like um, marginalize 80% of the population in this country and only gives access to about 20% of the population. But from there, you know, there's a lot of, mis- the addressable market, there is 20% of the population, but then you get other like uh, marketing efficiencies that drive it out to 4%. So in particular, how do we convince people that they need sports? Well, I will say they don't even need convincing. When you're a... Um, Let's give you an example. When you're a boxing athlete, well, every day you are just punching things. You're being punched. You go to competitions. The main objective of the competition is to knock your opponent out by punching him in the head. They understand the risk. It's really tangible to them. Noses get broken. Hands get broken. You know, there's a lot of pain to it. And whenever they tell them, we just tell them, we have an accessible solution for you, they really get into it. Like, you don't need to pay, um, you don't need to pay $800 a year for the insurance. I sell it to you at $15 a year. Well, just not much selling to do there. And the product actually works. The thing that we actually need to do is to educate them on what we are selling because everyone has like a vague notion of what insurance is. Like, yeah, you pay money and if something happens to you, they pay it to you. Well, there, there are, you know, the devil is in the details. There are a lot of like teen, tiny, minutious details that athletes really need to understand to understand what they're buying into. And uh, yeah, just like creating the content, forging the language, educating them using webinars using the the um, federations in order to better like uh better address the athletes is the way we are actually educating the athletes on the need for buying insurance but more the like what they're buying into and i think our hardest challenge because of course we do have a lot of challenges is that many people don't think this is true so they, they've never heard a proposition like this. They've never like even, they thought insurance is this really expensive thing that they cannot afford. And when we come with our, you know, almost unbelievable, too good to be true proposition for them, well, they don't really get into the basics of the market of how a group insurance works and how we can use um, technology to lower the cost per acquisition on the insurance side to lower the prime rate. And they don't get into that. They think, this is a scam. So yeah, how do we create you know, trust in the other side? Well, we can do it through the federation. So federations, when, normally, when they talk to me and they see our, our company and they talk with other federations that are already our clients, well, it's a pretty easy sale to do. B2B is really easy sale to do. B2C, on the other hand, more difficult. So when we need to actually like get into like the small little athlete, like the individual athlete and how do we convince them? Yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the public relations side. And we're working with the two insurance car- carriers that we have, that's Suda and Chov. 
Sura is from Colombia, really big insurance carriers in Latin America. Chov is from Switzerland, really big insurance carrier in the whole world. So yeah, they're like really respectable brands. They're getting our product into their websites in order for whenever they ask me, how can I trust your company? I just send them to the insurance side. So that's an easier way to trust, to generate trust. And there's, you know, the public relations side, all that kind of thing. So, I mean, that's still a puzzle, has not been solved. Uh, we really need to work on it, but that's 20% of the population. We're still selling. It sounds like the key to selling insurance in Mexico is get them into groups because that makes it cheaper and then accessible for everyone else. Uh, and, and I want to ask you, with the current shift in sports practices due to the pandemic, now suddenly everyone wants to practice sports in a safe environment. So what are you guys expecting? How do you think the dynamics in team sport and personal fitness will change in the long run due to the pandemic? And is there a way you'll be looking to benefit from these changes? What do you think about it? There are winners, there are losers with this pandemic. Uh, we, we kind of don't care because at the end of the day, we can ensure people training at their homes or training at the gym. So for us, it's, you know, their, their risk is more or less the same. So yeah, we're still selling. On the side of the gyms, on the side of the federations, on the side of the, you know, online trainers, there are big shifts going on. The big winner from this quarantine, of course, are um, industries like InstaFit. You, sh you should totally make a podcast with them. There are beautiful people there. Of course, they, they had this business model pre-quarantine where they had uh, the, an audience and they just gave like, um, you know, online training to the audience. We will see, be seeing a lot of that in the near future. And, you know, they're, they're already making a good a good time for themselves a lot of gyms are getting into digitalizing their well digitizing their their services going online of course but it's not that easy to just do it you know, like when you were like i don't know sports world and then you just want to change everything and become online because there are all underlying reasons why one business model is really different to another so one business model is subscription for the instafit kind of you know online business And it might appear that for a gym, the business model will be also subscription because you actually pay month to month. But that's not the case. The, actually, the case is that you pay month to month to use the, the equipment. So their business case is more about getting all the right equipment in the right place and then leasing it, almost like, well, not leasing it, but you know, giving access through a monthly fee To the, to the users. That's a really different thing because users aren't expecting equipment. They're not expecting the, the service of being taught how to do the, the exercise. So yeah, there's, there will be some challenges there. For the Olympic sports, I mean, I, I just don't see how things can be changed like in the long run. Perhaps with the audience, perhaps with their uh, venues, but in the sports itself, they cannot really be changed that much because people need to train where the equipment is. You cannot just train track on your house. That's not how, it, how that works. So yeah, um, gyms, um, tracks, that kind of um, specialized training places will remain open. Exhibition sports like dancing or katas in karate or taekwondo, yeah, they will go online, of course. There will be a lot of businesses doing live streams of events 
for people to not get into the venues and consume it online. But for the athletes, there will not be much change there. But I really think, even though if we find like the vaccine and everything works out right and everything goes to normality, there will be more streamlined, there will be more people doing exercise in their homes, there will be more insta-fits in the world. I think maybe there's also an opportunity in the pandemic because it, it's creating consciousness around, you know, being safe. So maybe now people would be like, okay, so I'm going to go practice uh, maybe soccer. It would be better, a good idea to maybe hire an, an insurance about it so I'm, I'm safer regardless of you know, getting sick by COVID or something. It's just, I just want to be safer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really important motivating factor for the sales that we're currently doing and for the um, uh, federations we're currently selling at. Of course, there's more, how you say it, there's more focus on how, how to be safe while practicing sports. And yeah, part of that equation, of course, is insurance. So that's a big win for us but also will be on how actually people like get into safer environments. So we also have that side of the business where we are um, helping people get the content they need to actually practice safely sports and also informing the federations and the clubs and the gyms the best uh, safety measures in order to avoid injuries. That's great, uh, Oscar. And my, my last question is, is a more personal one. But it's more about like getting your spirit as an entrepreneur and, and knowing uh, what you're made of. So if you could have a billboard or a sign, a big sign, which would be seen by millions of people every day, what would you write on it? And, and why would you write those words? You know, I'm be accountable. Like I'll just and write things, perhaps not the same thing every day, but more about accountability, like, Accept when you're wrong, like um, understand that you will not be right the first time, like uh, take risk and prepare to fail, prepare for your worst case scenario and actually live it and, you know, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That kind of thing. So I'll just like try to write things for people to understand that things are, you know, the world is not fair and you really need to move. And if you don't move, well, then the entropy will get the best out of you. You know, at the end of the day, at least here in Latin America, I think living in US, Canada is like living on easy mode. Living in Europe is like living on medium mode, you know, medium difficulty. Living in Latin America, now that's hard mode. <laughs> well, there are other places, of course, South Asia and Africa, they're also hard mode there. But yeah, like um, things will not get better by themselves. We need to actually improve them or we will remain as we are and we really need to get into a better position. I would say that that's a legendary way of ending the show. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing your story on today's Halftime Snack. I'm super happy we had this chat and it was great to have you on the show, Oscar. Ronan, it was a pleasure being on this podcast. You know, best of luck. Before you leave, I want to thank you for listening. To hear this or any other halftime snack, check out the full archive on my website, which you can find on the show notes. See you next week!